0: But this was really
1: 1981 Rock
2: what's up everybody i'm your host stacy lane wilson author of the rock and roll nightmares book series and director of the film the ventures stars on guitars you are listening to the rock and roll nightmares podcast for people who love music from the 60s 70s and 80s and now on to the show. Welcome to the Rock and Roll Nightmares podcast. This week, it's a mini episode featuring a short Q&A with the director and cast of the movie Spinning Gold, which is out in theaters on Friday, March 31st. Spinning Gold tells the story of Casablanca Records founder Neil Bogart. His son, Tim Bogart, directed the film, and the Broadway star and Tony nominee Jeremy Jordan plays Neil. I also spoke with the Grammy-nominated singer and songwriter Taylor Parks, who plays Donna Summer in the film. Casablanca Records was an independent company that triumphed against all odds and introduced not only Donna Summer to the world, but also KISS, P-Funk, and the Village People. For us rock fans, there are a lot of scenes featuring KISS, some of them a bit embellished, but hey, that's showbiz. Hey, (laughs) Stacey. Hey, so the first question is for Tim. Even though the story seems to be a shoe-in for the big screen, I know it took a while to happen. So can you talk a little bit about the process?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think many things take take a long time to happen. This one took maybe a little bit longer. I think that that's fair. I think that that's fair. Um, and I think it's because ultimately, while I do think there, there's always a feeling, oh, music biopics um, always work, uh, they tend to be about a single artist. And I think there was always something about the fact that Fundamentally, this was about this guy named Neil Bogart that people didn't know it wasn't about Donna Summer, it was not about Kiss. Um, they were all part of the story, but they were not the story. And I think that it was hard for a lot of folks to wrap their heads around, um, but, well, what does that mean? <laughs> you know, you make a biopic about someone we know. And, and I believe, you know, my father was really lost to history, uh, even though he was so consequential to helping create so much of music history. Um, so I just think uh, the things are hard to begin with. And then um, just finding the right group of people at the right time, um, it takes an awful lot of perseverance and then an awful lot of, of, of happy uh, luck at the right moment.
2: Definitely worth the wait. And you got Jeremy to play your dad. Um, now, playing any Run. real person, yes, I mean, great job. Uh, playing any real person does take extra care, but I think to have the man's son as your director seems both <laughs> tricky and a blessing. So, what was the most challenging aspect of bringing Neil to life on screen?
3: Yeah, I mean, I, I was I was very fortunate to have to have uh, Tim as that as as that you know relative that was ever present um for many reasons one because i i never felt the um obligation to do an impersonation or to you know to 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 be and look and sound exactly like him i i all i was tasked with was to keep his essence alive and um and that was really fun and secondly it was uh, i i learned at a very very early stage in the process that the apple did not fall very far from the tree. And that, <laughs> that Tim uh-huh. had a lot of, of the qualities um and little nuances that, um, that I was looking for in, in Neil. And so I would very liberally borrow from him just watch him like, on, I would watch how he would direct the scene. I was like, "What are you doing? That's so interesting." I was like, "That's Neil right there. That's he's coming, he's speaking through through Tim, and, and he's showing me exactly um, who he was." You know, and I'm sure that it wasn't exactly, but it's, it's it. Uh, and Tim was always encouraging me to um to really create the role as opposed to try to um you know bring something to life that would have been impossible to get exactly right anyways because of a how how little you know the world knew about him and how little footage there is and also because back in those days you know it was 40 years ago and and people you know they they were often you know under the influence of things when they remember <laughs> these stories and so right. used to say that they were that things went down exactly as they remember them
2: tim question for you now uh jeremy said that playing someone who's not known by the masses what they look like might have been a little easier to kind of slip into but when you're casting people icons like gene simmons and donna summer how do you go about that
1: well that was one of the most important um decisions right or wrong that that i think i i made which was i did not want people to mimic these these incredible artists i did not want them to have to look exactly like them i was looking for the essence you know so so much of what i thought would make this movie different and unique is not the stuff we already knew. And that extended to, we know how Bill Withers Lean on Me ends up as a master. We all have it, we listen to it over and over again. I wanted to experience what that was like the first time it came out of his mouth. And therefore from the casting, I wanted people who really were creating themselves along the way, which meant it was Bill Withers before he became Bill Withers. It was Chaim Witz who became Gene Simmons. It was Stanley Eisen who became Paul Stanley. It was LaDonna Gaines who became Donna Summer. So I was actually casting um the the journey to who we all know. And so I, I thought there was an important decision from the beginning to not do mimicry or or not concern ourselves with anything other than the essence and, and the pulse moving through these folks.
2: And now here's my talk with Taylor Parks. Your songs are Taylor made as a composer, but um in this case you're singing iconic songs that everyone knows. So I'm wondering like did you try to emulate Donna Summer or did you put some of yourself
0: into the songs? Um, I think that my priority was making sure that I studied her as a vocalist and what made um, Donna the vocalist that she is and understanding the background, like understanding that she started doing, she started off doing musicals and, you know, singing in church and, and all of these other things. And, and also showing the audience the evolution of when she, when you first hear her sing in the film and when you last see her sing in the film and how they're two completely different people. So You know, while also understanding that you'll never be able to do the exact, you know, I don't care how good you are at impersonating anybody, as far as doing it exactly perfect, I think that you're not doing it justice if you are doing that. You know what I'm saying? You're not taking into into account the other things that are less obvious.
2: Yeah, I mean, while her first kind of breakout song was Love to Love You Baby, which has very few lyrics, but um, it seems like it could be a challenge to sing,
0: was it? yes it takes a lot of breath work to sing that song <laughs> so i was like wow but you know what i think that throughout most of the challenges that you know we had throughout this film they were fun they weren't challenges that were scary um per se they were more so an ability to be able to tap into something that i usually don't um have to tap into and that made things um very exciting it made me excited to be back on screen again
2: yeah, I mean, when you heard that you were cast as Donna Summer, what was your initial thought?
0: I mean, my initial thought was, "Wow, let me get to work because <laughs> there are so many things that I want to learn about her and making sure that I that I that I do it justice."
2: Well, there's such an incredibly eclectic um, overview of wonderful vocalists from the '70s. I'm wondering if you were a fan of hers before you took on this role or did you learn a lot more about her in undertaking
0: it? Mm, I was definitely a fan of her before but I think myself along with other fans whether no matter what year you were born I think that there's so much personal things that aren't really talked about um, when it comes to Donna Um, and so I think this doing this film made me even more of a fan because a lot of things that aren't talked about really you know we touch on in this film
2: right and they show um her young daughter that she had at the time i don't think a lot of people realized that she was a mom when she was doing oh. these very sexy disco
0: tunes mm-hmm. yes um,
2: what was your favorite moment of playing donna summer
0: um one of my favorite scenes is oh and, and honestly like the moments the clothes were everything i love a good fit um but you know, being able to see the the final scene um, with her and, and Neil, it always makes me, you know, emotional without giving too much away. I definitely loved seeing um, just a, I think as a creative, anytime you see the aspect of like somebody's relationship with somebody that believed in them. Um, when it was really hard to believe in themselves, there's something really, really sentimental, sentimental about that. And, and I definitely think seeing that kind of dynamic between the two, um, was just something that it made it, it made it one of my favorite scenes because it kind of sums it all up in a really beautiful way.
2: It does. Yeah, I want to point out that you do a tremendous amount of acting in the film as well as singing. Um, what do you hope that audiences will take with them after seeing Spinning Gold?
0: I hope that audiences take with them, I think, a little bit more than I knew about some of their favorite artists. Um, and also a little bit more about, you know, the evolution of how they became that way you know and seeing you know la donna turn into donna um is a very different thing in two different people and so when you're if you're a real fan you want to know um how that evolution took place and, you know, the people that were a part of that evolution. And so I definitely think that that's something that I I want them to take away from it and how hard um, these artists had to work and these, you know, and Neil and Cecil and, you know, all of the other people that were in the film that were around these artists had to work to make sure that these timeless songs, we can still sing today.
2: Yeah. All right. Well, thank you, Taylor. I appreciate your time and good luck with the film. Thank you. There isn't an awful lot about Kiss in the Rock and Roll Nightmares books, but I do have a story about Gene Simmons and his penchant for pyrotechnics in True Stories, Volume 2. This is from the chapter Stage Right. After the flaming crown of the strange world of Arthur Brown came Gene Simmons of Kiss, who also performed painted in black and white with fire flowing. But the man who was born Chaim Witz in Israel took things a step further by breathing fire like a character straight out of an old-fashioned freak show. During his debut of the now-famous stunt on New Year's Eve in 1973 in New York City, the Heavens on Fire singer accidentally spewed his kerosene against the wind and set his heavily sprayed coif alight. It happened while the band was performing a song called, appropriately enough, Firehouse. A quick-thinking roadie smothered the flare with a wet towel, and Gene lived to see 1974. But the bombastic bassist kept on with his blazing belches and suffered many minor mishaps along the way. But hey, even Gene would say, that's showbiz. The Rock and Roll Nightmares True Stories Volume 2 Audiobook, read by Andy Garrison, will be released via Audible very soon. This concludes another episode of Rock and Roll Nightmares. I'm your host, Stacy Lane Wilson. The theme song, Out for Blood, is composed and sung by Lars with a Z, Cabot, and the band is Fuzzbuster. This is an indie podcast, so your subscriptions and ratings are really important. Thank you for joining me, and until next time.